This is the Scratching and Surviving Podcast, where we together will learn what it takes to achieve extraordinary results. And I am your host, Aries Webb Williams. So today I have my very first interview with Ty and Courtney Caldwell. They are the co-founders of a company called Shearshare. Shearshare is a tech company that connects salon and barbershop owners to licensed stylists to fill unused suites and stations on demand. Salon and barbershop owners make money on their empty chairs. Licensed cosmetologists and barbers find professional space to work by the day. Let me tell you just a little bit about each of them individually. So Ty, he holds a doctorate of professional barbering. He's also a number one best-selling author of a book called Mentored by Failure. It teaches how to achieve long-term success in the beauty and style industry. A recognized beauty expert with more than 20 years of experience in salon and barbershop operation. Courtney, she spent the last two decades building winning teams as the Vice President of Marketing for Marketing Advocate, Global Director of Oracle's Worldwide Digital Marketing Strategy and Innovations Group, and Head of Digital Demand Generation and JPAC Field Marketing at Right Now Technologies. Let's take a listen to my interview with Ty and Courtney Caldwell. So LJ, yeah, so LJ is my oldest son. He's nine years old. Okay. And I have another son, Marvin, who is seven. Okay. And when I first encountered Ty was at the barbershop, my ex-husband actually went there to get a haircut from Mercury. Yep. And that's when he had hair. He doesn't have hair anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> he stopped going there. But my nephews came as well. They were they would come visit. or And I also had one that lived with me. And he was going to get his haircut at Mercury's as well. Now, when I started having kids, obviously, the first place I'm going to bring, you know, LJ on his first haircut, we go to Mercury, and that's basically what's been going on. They've been going to get their haircut there all the way till now, <laughs> till yesterday. Goodness. So wow. now, um, you know, as we came into the barbershop, I would kind of come sometimes. I really try not to bring my sons to get their haircut because I'm on that traditional, like, your dad's supposed to take you to get a haircut type thing. But there was a period of time when I would go and take them every now and then. So I don't know how it came up that I was from Richmond, but Ty was very familiar with Richmond. Um, <laughs> so that kind of, I think his his ear peaked up when he heard Richmond, like, Richmond? Like, what you know about Richmond? So that kind of started a conversation between us. Now tell me, okay, I don't remember what your history was and how you knew Richmond, but I know you were like, I had just came back from the Bay Area. Like, you knew about that area. What's your history with the Bay Area? Well, my history with the Bay Area is that, you know, I've always been uh, a big Too Short fan. I've always been a big E-40 fan. So I've always liked uh, hearing about hearing the Bay Area music and what they call the Yay Area music. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, traveling back and forth. Um, and my wife going back when she was working at Oracle, uh, going through um, uh, Richmond, doing business in Pleasanton, doing business in Oakland. So, you know, I would be in different areas and different pockets. So when we uh, got into YC, uh fellowship uh and then into 500 we was there all the time so i was literally you know living in uh the the bay area and uh, silicon valley for like almost 10 months so i was back and forth all the time so 
having meetings with different uh, VCs, having meetings with different uh, 500 cohorts, having different meetings with different people uh, that were uh, serendipitous to what we needed in, in the uh, in the uh, area, which was what we needed. So when you were talking at that particular time, a lot of people didn't even know that I was uh, doing share share, that I was even building the company. Right. So, you know, I come to the shop, you know, just to kind of, you know, be around the guys, kind of like football, locker room type conversation and just really get people. It kind of takes the edge off of a, a really hard day of work when you're really dealing with your mind. And I can just really talk to people and just really, you know, get in conversations. You know, I you know uh, when you're in a barbershop, you know, conversations, if it's out loud, this is, is not like you can't get involved in the conversation. It's just when I see a person that's friendly, I, I pretty much just talk to them. Uh, one thing I noticed about you uh, particularly was, you know, you seem pretty strong-minded. I was like, okay, well, you know, that's a particular uh, type of person right there. And, and then when you say rich, Richmond, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, she's strong-minded. You got to kind of be that way when you're from that side of the, uh, uh, the Bay Area. And you kind of have to be, you know, kind of tough in, in a sense, not, not not in a negative way, but in a, in a really strong, positive way. And that's what piqued my, my uh, interest to, in, in talking to you about about Richmond is because it's hard to sometimes talk to people who don't know the area or who are not from the area. So there's a lot of conversations deep down inside of me that I probably never have with people because they've never experienced it or have gone that gone to that particular place or experienced that particular thing in life. So when I run into those people, I try to, you know, utilize uh, what I know uh, as experience or knowledge and, 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 and just make, make friends or, you know, kind of get out some of my experiences to kind of see where we both kind of match and understand one another from that particular side of life. Right. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because whenever I, it's like I, I peek up, I get very excited when I have those conversations as well. Cause it just feels like home a little bit, you know, when you get to talk to someone who has had a similar background, you're like, oh, okay. You know, like there's another person like me out there. Um, so I definitely, that was a memorable uh, experience. And so fast forward a little bit, I, but I do want to say this, Aries. Yes. I do want to say this, and I'm gonna be very, very uh, forward. I really, I really didn't think you liked me. <laughs> really? As a person? Really? I really didn't think. Why? Liked me. Yeah. I, I just didn't think. I didn't think she liked me because I remember uh, us seeing her at the movies uh, on oh, Royal yeah. Lane. Yeah, when we had family And night. she saw me, and 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 she was uh, probably with a friend or or whatever, and she saw me, and I'm like, she didn't even speak. So I'm like, oh, okay. See, well, I don't I, even remember that I, at I all. <laughs> Yeah, I know you don't remember, but and then, but then when you were coming to the shop, you would be nice. But I just think people just be nice. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty professional, but I'm pretty, uh, pretty likable kind of guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I'm, but, I'm, but I'm pretty, you know, uh, forward when it comes to how I run my shop. So I don't expect a lot of people to like the owner of the salon barbershop, but I do, you know, try to make myself, you know, pretty uh, open and and, mm -hmm. and and likable to people. But I didn't think that is funny how we have conversations because most time when people come into a salon or barbershop and they have their bar where they try to be it's pretty much hands off you know i'm only talking to you uh for whatever reason but it was just funny I and remember and this is funny because this is how stuff happens too where people don't even like i don't even remember that but also you know the times when i would come in the barbershop i would go in there it was very quick and i'm in and out and you know when you run into someone outside of context like they're not in the same place that you're used to seeing them. Like you could forget. Like I, yeah, if that happen. happened, I probably would have. I probably was like, 
I don't even remember, like, where do I know him? You know, you try not to, you don't want to say hi because you're like, I don't remember your name, you know, or yeah, something like yeah. that. I, I know what you're saying, yeah. Who knows? So, but yes, just know it was definitely not that because okay. I was not, I you know, at all. Um, so when I got the magazine in the mail from UTD <laughs> with the Sheer Share info in there, it was a, a article and it talked about... Uh, Courtney being a alumni and all this. And I just saw a picture. I didn't even read the article all the way. I saw the picture <laughs> and then I saw a picture with you in it. And I'm like, wait a minute, is that a tie? <laughs> I'm like, who is, that's his wife? Oh my God. I was like, he got a beautiful wife. Like, I just remember being like, what he doing with her? <laughs> I said, wow, okay. And then I read the article. And I was thoroughly impressed. I was like, look at this. This is awesome. I just remember being super excited. You know, like when you see somebody that you know and you're, you learn something new or you see them doing well, you're like, oh, this is super cool. But I hadn't really come back to the barbershop in a while. Like I really wasn't planning on going back. Cause I'm like, okay, their dad, he's got the system now. I don't have to go back there. So I never really got a chance to run into Ty again until yeah. – the women in leadership series when Courtney was speaking. That's right. So you come up to me afterwards and, and introduce yourself. Um, and that, that was how you and I first met. Yep, exactly. And actually, so when I was coming into the event, I ran into Ty and I'm like, ah, this is your wife, you know, right? So we kind of had that moment right there. Cause we didn't get a chance to have it before. And he was <laughs> like, yep, I'm going to make sure to introduce you after the event. So I was like, okay, cool. But I was super impressed by every, minute of your presentation that day thank you i was i was just sitting there like look at this beautiful black woman just commanding the stage everybody's just in awe you know i had brought a guest with me um and she was even like wow you know like we all we were just amazed oh thank you uh, anytime that time i have the opportunity to kind of pay it forward um, and, and definitely give back to the community that supports us. We, we're all for it. Yes. And it's funny because it's like ever since that day, we've been running into each other ever since. We have. Like, we've been <laughs> running into each other at the movies. We've run into each other at other networking events and the yeah. you know Women in Tech Awards when you receive that award. Right. And everywhere. Church. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everywhere. I'm like, it's okay, fun. so this is yeah. meant to be now. <laughs> we're, we, we definitely are connected. So I want to go back real quick, and either one of you can start, but I want to go back kind of to the some of the questions I sent you earlier about kind of what you were doing at certain ages in your life and kind of what you feel were things that you, and you can mix it up. It doesn't have to be that exact age. It may be just certain milestones that you remember, but just let's talk about you like as a teenager. Okay. What did you think you were going to be doing? What did you want to do? Like, tell me a little bit about your like your family, like if there was someone that encouraged you, just a little bit about that era in that's your life. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for asking the question. Is I, I have I have vivid memory of, <laughs> of fourteen. Um, I never forget. I, I played football, so I was a football star, basketball and track star. You know, when I was living outside of Memphis in the Arkansas area, and I think it was when I was uh, probably twelve between 12 and 13, somewhere close to the line between both of them. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 13, 13 ish, 13 ish. Um, uh, my, my, my coach, 
uh, saw uh, some some characteristics and qualities in me uh, when I was in uh, middle school, and he said that um, I had leadership qualities, uh, that I had influencer qualities, and he said that I could. He needed me to be a leader over my over my team because we had a few, you know, characters on the team that could affect you know our season, uh, win or loss. Uh, so, you know. He told me to to really be a leader, and that's when I knew then that there was something about me. Well, I always knew that there was something inside of me that was always kind of boiling or kind of you know percolating a little bit, just kind of making me feel a certain way, and I never knew it until my coach told me. But my mom had always told me uh, the type of person I was. I was pretty curious, outspoken. Got a lot, of, got in trouble for being for having a mouth. <laughs> and my and I'm the seventh of eight kids, so wow. you know uh, my dad only has a sixth grade education. My mom has an eleventh grade education. They got married really early in life, and saw my dad work really hard. My mom worked really hard. They're not too far from Jim Crow days. Uh, I, my mom talks about them picking cotton. My dad talks about you know doing certain things just to provide for the family. So I, I mean I have you know a, a great amount of understanding and history uh, of how my family made it. To the point they did, and and all the things they taught us and raised us with was was definitely based on uh, morals, values, and 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 um, the qualities of what it needed to be uh, met in society if you want to be a part of being positive and successful. So one of the things I always said: make sure you keep your name good, mm-hmm. you know. And and I believe in that, and 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 keep a driver's license that's going to get you in and out of certain things, and and just you know rem- keep keep good credit worthiness. Uh, so as I got older, I really looked at that as, you know, having integrity, uh, credit worthiness, good, uh, worthiness is good. Uh, but it's not the end all be all. It's just really being in, having great integrity with people. Uh, it's not totally financial all the time. Some people take it out of context. Um, uh, but, um, having all, having said all that, I had the opportunity to move to Texas after visiting one summer. My sister had, uh, lived in Texas, uh, um, her husband, and uh, she moved from St. Louis to Dallas, and we never got a chance to travel. It was always me and my younger brother. We was number seven, number eight, so we never got a chance to really travel because it was always us, and it was always not not enough room or no enough time. Or during the summer times, we had like little odd jobs to do. People wanted us to work with them. You know, uh, uh, some of the the older white families needed just some young people to help them do stuff around the house, mow, rake leaves you know, help work in their gardens and stuff. And so me and Calvin was always left to make money, which we wanted to make money because, <laughs> you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money growing up. So we were cool with that. But we wanted to at least get a week or two of travel. Uh, so we had the opportunity to travel when I was 14. And I went to Texas uh, for a couple of weeks. And then I went again uh, my uh, at the age of 15. And at the age, after that summer, you know, I had the opportunity to move to Texas. And, you know, the only child of seven that got that opportunity to 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 uh, continue his education in another another state wow. and to leave, home on, to leave home on my own and graduate in another state. That was like unheard of. I knew that it, it was something special if I got the opportunity. So my mom, who trusted and believed in, believed in me uh, so long, said, you know, uh, my dad's name is Houston. So she said, Houston, let him go. I think he'll, I think he'll be fine. Uh, my dad was totally against it because I was young. I was a, a, fire, a fireball. I was kind of a hothead. <laughs> But at the same time, I was a I was a leader around the house, so he was losing somebody who could really do things around the house, who could think and who could you know make things happen. But you know they they couldn't see uh, far. My mom almost kind of prophesied a little bit, but my dad really couldn't see it. He just didn't want me to get caught up in in bad in, in uh, bad company 
you know, maybe, you know, starting a family too early in life mm-hmm. or not, not finishing school. So some of the things that most parents would get a little bit concerned about uh, for their child and ended up, I told my mom, I said, I, I will not uh, forget you guys for what you've done. I'm going to come back and take care of you. Uh, I never forget my dad worked for the, the state highway department. I left $1 on his steering wheel and said, uh, this is one for the road, which he carries in his wallet till today. Oh, that's sweet. And, uh, and cried all the way to the airport. And uh, to this very day, I, I've made them proud. Uh, I never forget. I, I end up about a few years ago buying my dad a brand new Denali pickup. And, wow. Uh, I purchased my parents' home from them, so they didn't have to worry about mortgage anymore. Uh, I've since done so much stuff for them. And I told my That's whole thing was, my whole thing was, and I did this all just being a barber, being a business professional, and not having a part time job, just really just throwing it all out there. And just being risky. Uh, so, do you feel that moving it? So, moving to Texas. If you had stayed in Memphis, do you think it would have still been the same? Well, if I'd have stayed in Arkansas, it would have been. It would have been no. I wouldn't have had this life. I wouldn't have been this exposed. Um, I went to school at Hillcrest, so I was around a bunch of different kids. I, I had to kind of understand the dynamics uh, that where I came from as a family wasn't the way the world was, and I thought everybody had a family like mine. Uh, I had to really focus on education, so I stopped playing sports, um, and I just focused on my education, ended up you know, making on a roll every every six to nine weeks, uh, making the dean's list. Things, Those educational things and achievements I never got when I was back back in Arkansas. I never received those things because I, I had my hands tied up in education, sports, all the sports, and, you know, just being a kid. And, and so... Um, I, I saw it as important. I always wanted to be. I always wanted people to look at me as smart, even right. though I was even though I was a jock. I always wanted teachers to 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 think of me as a smart, studious kid. And things didn't come to me easy. I had to really study. Um, uh, saying all that, um, I would really think that if I hadn't moved here uh, without the exposure, I, I would not be uh, not even close to where I'm at. And 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 then looking back on it. I would have been a product of my environment. Right. So when when you when you're a product of your environment, you can't blame non-exposure. You know, my parents taught gave me the tools, the basic foundational tools that I needed, and I utilized that to expound on it from other people. Uh, uh, just learning from working at the hospital my senior year, um, and just learning from different patients. I met a lot of different patients on different walks of life. One of the patients ended up paying for my tux for prom. Another patient was. Uh, who was uh, there for to recover from drugs. He was the owner of BP Gas. I learned a lot of things from him. So wow. just meeting different people, different walks of life, and then exposing myself, going to community college and deciding, you know, I'm going to stop because I really didn't know what I wanted to do once I graduated. And just having an intimate conversation with God, asking him, you know, God, what can I do? Uh, and then he said, go back to your first love. And I've been cutting hair since I was 11. And I said, you know, I went to barber school and it just took off from there. Every every risk I took has been based on uh, just having, uh, writing the vision down, making it plain and just conversing with uh, God and higher power to just kind of keep my mind at peace. At, at 15 now, when you moved here, did you move with your sister? I live with my sister who who actually brought me here, but I, I live with my other sister who didn't who didn't put any rules and regulations on me. So he has four sisters. I have got four it. sisters. Okay. Let's be clear. He's got four sisters, four boys and four girls. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this one particular sister didn't put any regulations on me, any rules. I pretty much 
got up. She went to work before I did. So there was some mornings I said, you know what, I'm not going to go in today. Uh, I'm not going to go to school today. <laughs> there was some there was some mornings that, you know, I just said, okay, I'm going to go. I walked to school. It was about a two-mile walk. And it, it's just a, it was just a different type of mindset to have that type of freedom. So I signed all my report cards. I signed all, I signed everything. My parents had, I always, but you know, my mom, even when I was growing up, my mom would be like, you know, she would be fixing breakfast and she would say, I said, mom, I need you to sign this. And she said, you know, just, just sign my name. You know how to sign my name. So I learned how to sign my mom's name based on how she signed her name. So right. I just started signing my mom's name, well, my sister's name uh, at the time because she was guardian, had guardianship over me. But I just learned how to do that. And, and, and I never got in trouble. So my thing was, if I never get in trouble, I would never worry about, you know, uh, writing someone's, uh, copying someone's um, um, penmanship. And so I didn't, I didn't look at it like that. So everything I got was, was signing something that was good. I never, really, I never got in trouble or got called in or uh, truancy or nothing like that. So I never thought it was a bad thing. And my sister always said, just sign my name and I'm gone. And it was no big deal. So what made you decide that you were going to actually do, you know, get up and go to school and do your work? If you didn't have any regulations on you at uh, that time, I, I just I, my my power. I've always had willpower. I've always been uh, a strong-minded person. I, I like I said, I got in trouble most of the time. What people don't understand about the kids, the things your kids get in trouble for, are the things that are going to make them great. Mm -hmm. So I got in trouble for uh, being outspoken. I got in trouble for uh, uh, doing things uh, without asking. Uh, but those were the things that that really made me successful. Um, and so I would get up in the morning time and say, you know what, make my mom proud. Uh, I believe that I can do something uh, greater than than what the average 16-year-old uh, thinks. And I'd be so funny because when I was going to school, all the students thought I was a, a, a narc. They didn't think that I was a student. They thought that I was going to school and I was looking for the bad kids. I'm like, I'm, I'm not think I don't even know what a narc is. This is the first time I've ever heard of this coming <laughs> where I came from. And then they told me what it was, and it was just funny. Because I really didn't have a lot of friends. I had to meet people. So I was very popular where I came from. So I had to create a whole different type of popularity because I wasn't the school jock. So, you know, I was uh, a nice dresser. I was kept a clean cut. And, you know, I, I guess I looked pretty decent because girls were always trying to holler at me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there were different type of popularity that came with, you know, just not being uh, the out, the guy who's just out in the crowd or yeah. the, the jock. So there were other qualities that, that carried me you know, once I moved. Okay, so let's go to Courtney. What were you doing at 14? Oh my gosh, 14. 14, I was uh, attending a military high school. Wow. Um, not because I was a problem child. I'm, I'm sure I'm the apple in my mother's eye. Um, <laughs> but because it just had the best education in San Antonio. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> it had the best education in San Antonio, Texas, um, which is where I say I'm from, but we moved around a lot. My dad was uh, a doctor in the military. He was an army doc. And so uh, we moved quite a bit. Um, but so, yeah, I was... 14 in high school, loving life, doing everything that I could at school. Um, and I do not come from a huge family like I would consider my husband's to be. Um, it's just myself and my brother. Um, he, he's a younger, he, he's just a few years younger than I am. But um, I always say that he got the brains um, out of the two siblings. Uh, and that's that's about it. Nothing, nothing really crazy. I was just being a typical teenager. Um, I know I remember in school being involved in some people would probably think too much, but I just love to be like a natural born leader. So I was, you know, in cheerleading. And of course I was in the ROTC program 
and Spanish club and honor society and student council and everything in between. And, and I loved community service. You could not tear me away from like reading to kids or um, singing Christmas carols at a, at a elderly home. Um, I just enjoyed being around people and making folks smile. So did you feel like you had like a carefree childhood? I do. I feel like we had a care, I had a carefree childhood. My parents um, uh, divorced um, at some point in time. And then it was just my mom and me for a while. Um, but I still feel like it was very much carefree. Like my mother entrusted me so much with the expectations. Like I never had to you know, think about, oh, should I study or when should I study? Like she never had to get on to me about grades. Right. Um, I was a straight A student throughout from the time I stepped foot in school to the time I graduated high school as valedictorian. I was a straight A kid. Wow. There was time. Yeah, you actually bringing me back. Oh, my goodness. There was this one time. It was my freshman year, too, in high school where I got an 89 in honors geometry and my mother grounded me. And I had never been grounded before. <laughs> and, and that was a big deal because I was supposed to go to one of my girlfriend's houses. We were going to go to the movies and, you know, walk the mall, as most teenagers do. And I was just devastated. And so um, my mother never had to tell me anything twice. Like when it came to school and grades and being, you know, a, a young lady, she told me once and that was it. And so that never happened again. Was your mom uh, also in the military? No, she was not. No, my mother is just this person who loves education, though. Yes. And I guess that goes back to my entire family. Like my grandmother taught school for you know almost 30 years as a public school teacher. Um, my brother even taught math and science to um, more income kids. You know, we have totally different backgrounds, don't you? I'm listening to that and I'm making notes because I'm like, this is getting even more interesting. Yeah, that's, that's very true, baby. Opposites attract. Um, <laughs> and my mother even served as a JUCO uh, professor, wow. a visiting professor. Yeah, at some of the colleges there in San Antonio. And so... Um, yeah, that was just an expectation. Like it was never, we never had a conversation about it. It was never, um, you know, you're going to, you know, study and, you know, do your absolute best. That was just, it was a given. She was my biggest and still is, you know, after my husband now, uh, my biggest cheerleader though, my biggest right. fan. I like, always felt like I could like rule the world and do anything I set my mind to. And my mom's the kind of person who, when, when she would tell you that you actually believed it. I love that because it says, uh, because I worry about my own kids sometimes. Mm, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm like, I want them to get, and Ty, I know you get what I'm saying on this too, is like the experiences that I've had, I don't want my kids to have, but I want them to get the lessons that I have out of them. So I'm trying to learn how to, I'm raising kids that are growing up totally different than I did. All of us are. And it's Bro. so weird because I'm like, they're actually kids. <laughs> like they're being this, kids this, right now. Like this is what I want to tell you and any parent that's listening, and any anytime you want to share this, share this with someone. Uh, you got to look at your kids uh, like a not not it's a metaphor. It's a metaphoric, like a, like a insect, like a bee or a wasp, it or 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 uh, or, or a bird. If if you or a cat, if you declaw a cat, it's it's no good to society. Mm -hmm. If you take a bee stinger out, there's nothing that B can do for you. Um, so you have to let that, let your child keep their stingers. Let your child, don't clip their wings. We have a tendency to want to make things better for them, but we have a tendency of 
handicapping them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't, I, I, I try not to handicap my son. I give him opportunities. Uh, I give him an opportunity to fail, but also put him in tests to see if he can succeed. Uh, and I don't let him know their tests. So just an example, yesterday or Friday night after the football game, you know, we, you know, we let him drive, have the car and, and, you know, my wife said, well, you're going to give Trey a curfew. I said, no, I'm not going to give him a curfew. I'm going to see what time he's going to come in on his own. It's going to tell me a lot about him. And so he wanted to go out with his girlfriend yesterday. And, you know, uh, most parents give him like a three to four hour window. It was five o'clock. He, he wanted, she wanted to know what time. I said, no, I'm going to give you to 11 o'clock. I'm going to give you six hours, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to give them uh, the exception. They have to be things have to be the exception to the rule, mm-hmm. so that you don't always have to always feel like you got a, a leash on them. If a child feels like you got a leash on them, they're going to always, when they get out into society on their own, they're going to be wild. So it takes me back, and this is not a bad thing for what my dad did. My dad, I never forget, at 12 years old, we went down to this little place called the Line, the Line, out in little, uh, another area of the of the town, and we went into this store. He got like a 40 ounce of beer. And he pours some in a cup. And he said, here, here you go, kid. <laughs> Me and my younger brother. And he said, you know, and we looking at him like we laughing. We, we just jiggling, giggling with each other. We, he's drinking out the can. We're drinking out the cup. And he said, do you understand why I'm doing this? And we was like, no. He said, I'm doing this because I know you are curious in what this tastes like. So I'd rather for you to know what it tastes like than to abuse it when you get older. I like that, though. I really like that. And I think that's kind of what I do with my kids now because I had to settle with the fact that, number one, I love that you're kids, so I want to keep you like that. Secondly, I went through it so you don't have to. So I'm the one now that can give you the lessons. You know, I let them fail. I let them fall. I let them, you know, and I'm just right there. But I'm very intentional with them and I'm because I'm like, I don't want to raise any ungrateful kids or, you know, people who feel like they are entitled exactly so I give them just I'm I'm learning that balance now it's 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 interesting to walk through that process but I like I like where you where your dad went with that (laughs) yeah and we're all in we're all educationally inclined we can we can say I can say that uh one thing I will say is that and I tell my son and you can tell your kids as well if you're teaching them something and they're doubting what, they're, what, you're, what you're teaching them because they feel like you're old, you don't understand social media, you don't understand all these mm-hmm. things. And if you're trying to tell them something, I tell my son all the time, if I give you the answers to the test, why in the hell would you fail it? Exactly. Yeah. Why would you fail this test? Yeah, so true. Yep, that's exactly true. And then, yeah, because it's funny when I hear my kids think I'm old now, it's certain things I do that make them feel like I'm cool. Like they're like, oh, wait, you... You you know about this? You know, like, they're impressed, which is just hilarious to me. Okay, so we're going to fast forward a little bit. Let's go to the age of 21. Ha-ha, I love that age. And whoever can start, either one of you. Well, when I was younger, I did think that I was going to become an attorney. I will okay. say that. I just knew that, and I don't know why, but I remember when I was younger, I would set up my stuffed animals and pretend like I was having court. And again, I can't tell you where that stemmed from. If there was like a TV show that had that, I have no idea. Right. But I thought I was going to be an attorney. Um, but as I got older, um, when I got to college, I had asked myself, okay, so what thing are you naturally gifted at? And what things do people, you know, compliment you on? And so when I started you know, doing the work, 
um, internally and just asking myself, you know, what things do I really enjoy and have a, a natural passion for, uh, marketing came up. And so when I got to SMU, um, I studied marketing uh, and actually still use my degree every day. I've used my degree every day of my career, which I know is not uh, the norm. Um, but then even went to UT Dallas and earned my, uh, my MBA in marketing. And so I've always had this knack for being able to, um, you know, make things look and sound appealing. And so at 21, I just knew, okay, well, I'm going to get out here. I'm going to, I've, I've always wanted to be in corporate America. I never saw myself as being an entrepreneur. I was the kind of person who said, I'm going to get out here and become, you know, marketing supervisor, marketing manager, director of marketing, VP, CMO, head of marketing. Like that was my path. Right, right, right. And I remember once I hit that, I was like, oh, okay, so like now, now what? <laughs> and I did not feel fulfilled at all. Uh, but yeah, but back in t at 21, I remember thinking, okay, you're going to hit this title by this age and life is going to be grand. So you already had a title in mind. You knew oh, kind yeah. of what it looked like. And that was your oh, goal. Yeah. I'm a planner. I like my, my husband will tell you, like, I, I, I have to be able to plan stuff out from vacations to like, you know, the next two, three years of, of our household finances. Like I like to plan stuff out. And so, yeah, it makes sense that even back then at age 21, I was, I had a plan and I hit my, my personal goal. Hence, you know who the risk taker is now. Right. I was like, <laughs> I need her to come over here and help me plan. Hence, hence you know who the risk taker is. It is not is. me. I'm not the risk taker. Yeah. Ty, is, <laughs> he definitely has that sewn up for our family. Okay. So Ty, we're going to pull that into you now. So let's go. What were you doing at 21? 21. I was I was I was getting into this game of uh, barbering and cosmetology. I I had um, finished school uh, at around 20, and so I was a student teacher. Well, I finished between 20, somewhere between 20 and 21. What did you go to school for? I went to school for uh, barbering and cosmetology, but before that, I went to school uh, community college for psychology and business. Mm. Uh, oh, you wanted to be sports. Medicine, I wanted to be right? in sports medicine, and, yeah. and while I was working at the hospital, my 12th grade year. And then a year after that, I decided I didn't want to. I just couldn't stand to see people you know, sick and 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 in in hospital like that. And I got sick a lot. My so my immune system broke down. From being and, in there a lot. Yeah. And then I got but injured on the job. And you got to tell her about your pay raise. Yeah. Working in yeah. the hospital. And I got a pay your raise. One experience in corporate America. This right here changed <laughs> life for me as Thank we God. know it. So I was I was one of the the. Um, Assistant to my X-ray uh, te technician boss, uh, three eleven shift, and I got a lot of. I sometimes work day shift, depending on when I, especially when I graduated, and um, a lot. Of, I had a lot of awards for how I treated patients, uh, being selected in the department, and uh, they did our raises. And you know, I, I didn't know how it went. I was just excited. Well, okay, I'm gonna get a nice little raise. You know, when the office, they break it all down to you. And so I'm reading it, and they they're going through it line by line. Do you remember and, what your hourly wage was at that time? Uh, I want to say my hourly wage was probably seven forty or something like that an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got down to what my wage was. It was by percentage, and so they then I saw a percentage. Then they they put it in, in 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 dollars and cents. I didn't see no dollars. I saw cents. Uh, so all I saw was point. One six. I was like sixteen cents. Yeah. I was like sixteen cents. Sixteen. I, I just kept saying 
16 cents And he was the, the, like the, the stand-up employee. Right, like this is, like, you can't get any better than that. No. That, and that Over the course of a day, that's only adding a dollar and 28 cents to my to my date. <laughs> oh my to, gosh. To my Pre-tech. date. <laughs> so I was like, man, this is unbelievable. And you know, I, I think for. I worked there for maybe a few more months. The accident happened. I ended up having that uh, come to Jesus moment, you know, about what I need to do with my life and ended up going to barber school. And by 21, by getting barber school, cosmetology school, I was student teacher. I had one teacher that was giving me a hard time. You're not going to do well, blah, blah. I guess he, again, uh, because uh, I was outspoken and I was uh, able to um, do things at a level that he probably didn't expect me to. Uh, end, of gra- end of graduating, uh, working with um, one of the, my, my uh, barber cohort, we really uh, took over this one area in North Dallas, built a lot of clientele. I was making a buttload of money. At a young age. At a young age. You graduated at the top of your class, too. I did. I did graduate at the top of my class. You were a student teacher. I was a student teacher. Uh But one of the things I will say is if if I could go back to 21, Mm. I would would be like, put more gas on the fire. Mm. I'll be like, be a little bit more risky. Wow. Understand Mm. understand money more and make it work for you. Because I ended up saving. I I funded, I I, uh, actually ended up investing in my own, started my barbershop. I ended up investing and saved 30K. Wow. Just behind the chair. And I could have saved more, but I was 21. I was like, I was enjoying life. I was, <laughs> no, no, uh, spending, spending just as much, you know, without, because in, in beauty and cosmetology and in the beauty industry, you, you, you want to look the part. So I was always a snazzy dresser and I always wanted to look the part and I've always dressed really professional. So I wanted to make sure I kept my, you know, clothes up to par. And because I remember going to Target, you know, before, you know, I got into this industry and, and barely making it, going there, buying the same shirt I liked in all different colors and, you know, buying jeans and just buying, just trying to make it. Not not calling my parents. I I have never called my parents since I left home and asked them for money. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that's been one of the things I've been proud of. And, and but 21, I, I was enjoying life. I wish, I wish I could go back and talk to 21-year-old Ty. I know. And that's the thing. I'm like, that's really why I'm kind of going through this exercise because I'm thinking about these milestones in my own life. And I'm like, oh, I would have told her this, this, and this, you know? Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit more to 28-ish or 30 if you want to go a little bit ahead. but I can play with both of those. Okay, Uh, let's play with those ages. so 26, I had already started my first, I already started my own salon barbershop. Okay. Um, and so I was doing pretty, pretty good. One of the things that I didn't uh, understand and, and I could, I could do it, but I wasn't really good at it was, was running, was managing people. Right. You know, anytime you're in business, you got to manage people. You, uh, thankfully I had discernment, uh, that I asked for for years from God so I could understand and I could read people pretty well. Uh, I was always forgiving but always uh, not wanting to stronghold anybody, but wanting to give people opportunities based on um, who they were as char- in their characteristics uh, to see if they were uh, loyal uh, keep, and keeping them accountable. So I started to learn how to manage people better, but I also wanted to uh, get better at being me. So there was a lot of different things that I was still in growth for, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming from 28 to going to 30, because you reach that 30 milestone, something clicks in life and you say you know what yeah, have sure. i done everything i want to do and right, you you're done right. with your 20s so right. like man 
Did I mess over my 20s? I know I didn't mess over my 20s. There were things I could have done better. There were things I could have uh, I could have added uh, uh, instinct, in, instinctively uh, to the as far as putting gas on the fire. But I, I think I did pretty good in my 20s. Um, and and then when 30 hit, you know, I was just like, hey, you know what? This is this is a moment now where uh, life is is going to change. So I need to be a little bit more strategic in my thinking, a little bit more thoughtful in my planning, mm-hmm. and a little bit more insightful in where I want to go. Uh, I think I had, uh, at this particular time, uh, I had met Courtney. Uh, we were really good friends. We were dating and, um, young and, and, and she saw certain things in me that was just like, wow, this guy's different. You know, he, he, he loves the Lord. You know, he's running his own business. Courtney, I want you to pick up on this, pick up on this part right here so that we can hear what you were really thinking. And this is very true. And it's funny. Cause when we go back and people say, well, how did you guys ever, ever meet? The crazy part is, Aries, is that we met in his salon. Okay. Like how how unbelievably like perfect is that? Um, so we met in his salon. Um, there was something interesting about Ty, but I just knew that he was the owner of the salon, so I didn't kind of give it any. I didn't think too far into it. Were you I know going to get your hair done, or were you? What, I was. What brought you there? Yeah, I was going to get my hair done. At the time, I had gone natural before natural was in vogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was back when you just rocked the mini fro and big earrings. <laughs> and and Merc- Mercury was cutting my hair at the time. Okay. So keeping me shaped up. And so every time I'd be in there, every couple of weeks, um, I would say hello. And uh, I would speak and say hello. And then one particular time... Um, unbeknownst to me, but as the story gets told, um, he had asked Merck, he said, Hey, let me know when you're finished with her. When she leaves, I want to, you know, just kind of approach her, um, see what she's talking about. And so he asked me if I wanted to go to the, was it the movies or bowling? Bowling. It was bowling. He asked me if I wanted to go bowling and I was like, ah, okay, sure. Whatever. And, uh, we went bowling. We had a blast. I I know I beat him at least at one game. I'm not sure if he let me win. Uh, and then after that, we went to the movies and he was just so the conversation between Ty and me was just so easy. Like he was a a different kind of person. Like his heart is so big and you know, he'll, he'll literally give you the shoes off of his feet. And I, and I know this for a fact, I've seen my husband do this on more than a few occasions. Um, and he had, you know, big goals in mind. And the one thing about Ty that I learned over the course of time, just in, in dating him and becoming friends first was that he, he was able to pour into me and, and help to, um, like unlock all that beautifulness that I didn't even know existed. Like I hadn't even met the Courtney I knew was there, um, until I met my husband to be. Wow. That's oh, yeah. big right there. I mean, that oh, says yeah. a lot. Okay, so tell us, what were you doing when before you met him? So oh. at your 28-year-old or yeah. whatever age that was, but prior to you meeting him, where were you at in your career? Had, had you met your your marks and, and yeah. what was that looking like? Yeah, let me see. So mid-20s, I was working in full-time ministry, actually. Wow. So I was, yeah, I worked for a radio program uh, called Insight for Living. That's Chuck Swindoll's uh, radio oh, program. Yeah, He's a senior pastor yes. out at Stonebriar Community College. I'm sorry, sorry Stonebriar Community Church. And, uh, and I was working in marketing. I had trained three to four marketing managers um, they kept bringing people in that I would and asked me to train them. And then those people will become my boss. And I was starting to get a little anxious. I was like, why are they not just promoting me? Like right. that, that's very strange to me. Like, why do I continue to train people to manage me? Um, and so that's when I said, Oh, 
time to stop this madness and go back to school and get my master's. And that's when I did. Um, and thankful they, thankfully they were really flexible with my work schedule. I was able to go to class in the middle of the day and come back and work from home when I needed to. Um, so finished that up in two or three years and then decided to go um, outside of minist- full-time ministry. Um, and then that's when the real step ladders towards my career um, kind of took off. Okay. Yeah, yeah because I was in. Go ahead. Say that. Because I was in the picture. <laughs> so you helped her start getting that real, the real stuff going. Well, I, I want to say that I helped. Uh, I, I really want to say that, and, and I don't want to toot my own horn. But there are certain things and certain qualities that we all have, and there are certain qualities that, that we don't know we have. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, we, we have to uh, uh, really keen in on, on those things that we don't, that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. And so I was picking up a lot of things from her. I saw that yeah. she was a hard worker. Um, I saw that, that she had a, had, a, had a great personality. And so sometimes when you have a great personality, it, it doesn't make you a number one leader, but it makes you a number two leader. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 because sometimes people tend to not deal with the 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 leader uh, because they know that there are certain things about them that he's going to pick up, or he may say yes and no to, and 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 they can always go to the assistant and, and be like, okay, well, they get it, you know, I understand, but sometimes that assistant doesn't always want to be that front that front man, and so I saw that she had that that number two skill. And I wanted her to know that, that she could do that. So Courtney was making a, a certain amount of money when I met her. I'm not going to disclose that on, on the, <laughs> no. on the talk. Uh, but, but I saw that number it, it exponentially grow to unbelievably, unbelievable numbers. And it was just because, you know, a lot of the, the, the jobs that she was getting while we was dating um, um, and, and then a, after we were engaged, um, these numbers went up. And she's like, you know, I don't know if I can ask for that amount of money. I said, no, you can ask for that amount of money. And so she was like, well, so I'm going to ask for this amount. I said, no, ask for this amount. I said, you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, every time we, we, we met a milestone of her making a certain amount of money, uh, it was because I told her, that's the number you want to stick with. And it just kind of it, it went from there. And just getting her to know that relationships matter um, and always, always, always believe that the people that you're running into, you're going to see them again. And, and, and that's, that's one of the things that I told her, and I told her to just stay Stay, um, um, stay true to yourself. And, and, and I can jump in, babe. And I, w- I want to clarify something. So I don't want women who are listening to to think, oh my goodness, her husband is saying she's a number two leader. She can never be number one. That's, right, that's right, right, right. Um, when I first met Ty, like I knew that I was um, a leader in my own right. I mean, gone to military school, had been a leader, had served um, in the junior corps cadets, et cetera. But I knew that as a woman, call me old school, old fashioned, whatever. Um, but I knew that in order for my life to be what I wanted it to be, I was going to need to find that person who was going to be able to pour into me. Um, and, and just like Ty said, he saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And I saw things in him that he couldn't see in himself. And when you put those two things together, it yeah. was just like fireworks and has continued to be fireworks. And like that some- could have been a, a, any relationship, right? So yeah. It could yeah. it happened to be a partner as far as a romantic relationship for you, mm-hmm. but it could be a friendship, a mentor, a sponsor, Absolutely. just anybody that is positive that could have, um, you know, a relationship yeah. that could could yeah. have built that same, you know, those same qualities, which I think is very telling because a lot of people are hanging around people who are not doing anything, Mm-mm. you know, yeah. or they're not. They're not the the right balance for for what what their issues are. So like, I know for me, I need someone who's detail oriented. I need someone, 
you know, if we're going to be in partnership together, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I think it's Sheryl Sandberg's, her first book, Lean In, where she talks about, mm-hmm. you know, finding the right partner and how key that is to your success is it could either be detrimental to your success or it can be key mm-hmm. in, you know, how far you go if you pick the wrong partner. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah and I, and I, I want to expound and agree with what Courtney said. So for any listeners that are listening, it wasn't like she wasn't a leader. It wasn't like I didn't see her that way because she was yeah, truly no, no, a leader. No. Right. So definitely not uh, uh, looking at that as a, as a down uh, uh, conversation, but wanting to say that when you see something in a person, you have to let them know. Right. And that's just that's just the key to success. Uh, and, and, and she has definitely poured a lot in me because there were certain things that I had in me, uh, insecurities that she was just like, Hey Ty, you have this, this, you have this thing in you. So all you got to do is just take it and run with it. So I wanted to add to that. I love that. And at the, at the women's leadership series, Courtney said something that, that kind of plays on what we're talking about now, where you were saying, you never saw yourself owning your own company. You never saw yourself in technology in that in the sense that you are in now, and you never saw yourself as an entrepreneur. No, <laughs> so never saw in, in any of those roles, um, uh, and I don't. It, it's not. I don't think there's a reason why. I just knew that. Well, maybe there is. You know, all the models that I had in my life were, you know, when I look at my parents, my grandparents, aunts and uncles, you know, cousins, people always worked really hard for other people, for organizations. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. You know, if that's, if that's your, if that's what you want to do in life, go for it and go after it with all you, all you've got. But I didn't see, um, you know, someone starting a tech company, right? I didn't know what an entrepreneur really was. Um, now my stepfather had his own real estate company. So I guess I did, uh, kind of get some, some, um, some osmosis from, from him, um, but never did I think, you know, I want to make all of those decisions. I want to, you know, learn about employment taxes. I want to learn about HR. I want to learn. I, mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Um, and so it's, it just, it's hilarious to me, even just thinking about it today in this moment, that this is exactly what we're doing and, and not just starting something that is our own business, but starting something that never even existed before. Right. That's, I mean, innovation is probably one of the harder that's the hardest thing because you always hear people saying, you know, everything that's been done has already been done, right? <laughs> everything <laughs> has already been done once. It comes back in circles and also yeah. with ideas. Like there's no such thing as a new idea. Somebody thought of it and somebody mm-hmm. else just executed, right? And I, yeah, definitely. And I definitely uh, will say that when I first started my salon barbershop, I only started to make a difference in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I knew how African-American shops were being portrayed on TV. I knew what they kind of thought of us. And I said, well, why don't I start a business that looks like it could be my uh, ethnic counterpart, but it's actually mine. So right. my whole my whole thing was, is when you look at it from the outside, it may look like it belongs to uh, my ethnic counterpart, but it's actually an African-American. So right. I wanted people to understand that it doesn't have to look like you. Uh, and I teach this that your clientele is going to be uh, uh, a direct... Like the stereotypes. The stereotypes, yeah. That your clientele is going to be a direct reflection of who you are. So I wanted people to know that they could have what they wanted to have the way they wanted to have it and be successful in it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And, and okay, so on that same wavelength as far as what you wanted, your impact to be in the community and all of that, if you could go back, and, and you can pick yourself at any age that you want to pick, but... 
if there's someone listening who is, let's say it's, it's you, the younger you, either one of you, the younger you is listening to the podcast today. They're they're doubting some things. They may be feeling like, I don't know, like, can is this actually possible for me to get kind of to this this stage where you are right now? What are the what will be some of the key things you would say they need mm. to do in order to kind of stay on track? Yeah, yeah. Um, for one, um, and, and my husband and I are really, really mindful of this, is that um, you know, for anything to be successful, for you to get anywhere in life, um, besides needing a, a strong support system, because you cannot be a man on your own island. You have to have people around you who will help you um, in the dark days and the, and the good days. But also, you have to remember to feed what you want to live and starve what you want to die. Ooh, so if you have insecurities, if you if there's something about yourself that you want to change, like maybe I'm not as organized and I want to change that, then you really have to do the hard work to get that stuff done. But it really is about feeding what you want to live and starving what you want to die. That's beautiful. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that we always uh, talk about just between us and, and our son. And, and, and most of the time I tell people and she'll say it. And, uh, I've been around some great mentors. I have some great mentors in my life. I believe in them. And, uh, I always tell people just jump, take the risk of jumping and, and don't worry about growing your wings till, you, till you're on your way down. I said, because, you know, if you sit back and think about it long enough, you can talk yourself out of anything. Oh, oh my and, gosh. and so I've never, I've never taken the opportunity to talk myself out of anything. I, I've emptied my, I've emptied my bank account six times in my life. And I never thought it was a bad thing. Every time I did it, I never thought it was uh, I was about to die. Uh, and I did it on my own free will. So most of the time when I tell this story and I, and I tell it in detail to certain people who, who, who have excuses to where they're at or to where they, why they can't get where they want to go. And they'd be like, wow, how did you do it? And I was like, I, I just did it. I said, I never thought about it. When I emptied my account to, to pay for my parents' mortgage, I did it because I knew that I was doing something that 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 God would, would want me to do, and He said, right. because He says it in His Word, you know, honor your parents, and your days shall be long. And yes. and and I, I've I've done these things. I've given people shoes off my feet, and walked away barefooted with my socks. And so it doesn't mean anything to me. I hold nothing to my to my waist. I hold nothing to my belt. I, I believe that if you take risk in life, uh, it'll come back around as a rubber band and, and give you back more than what you put out. And I think people should be have the mind to do that because we're truly trained uh, to be followers and not leaders. And I think that we should think more on the people that we consider the 1% and see what they do because the only thing, the only reason they're called one percenters is because they're risk takers. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it comes back to self-assessment, right? Yeah, I know for absolutely. me the the most growth I've seen in myself is when I am not afraid to see what's there. Like, mm -hmm. what is really holding me back? Um, mm -hmm. You can't blame people. You can go down the list and say, I blame my parents. I blame this. I blame that. But what is it inside of you that is stopping you? Because it's something. Yeah. There's something. Yeah, There's you something know, there that usually is stopping us. And if we don't see what those things are, then we can't even feed what we want to live and starve what we want to yeah. die because we don't know what those things are. Yep. Right. Yeah, Ty, Ty hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, we can talk ourselves out of anything, yep. right? <laughs> and I was listening one day to um, a YouTube video by Priscilla Evans Shire, and she was introducing um, 
a brain, a female brain surgeon. I hate that I forget her name now, but she said something to me that just caught me off guard. And I said, man, if I had known this 20 years earlier, <laughs> I think I would be a different person. Uh, but she said that the brain does not know the difference between a truth and a lie. Mm. And so if we tell ourselves, oh, I'm this, or oh, I, you know, I need to lose five pounds, or oh, I, I shouldn't go in and ask for a raise because they're not going to give it to me, or oh, that could never happen to me because that only happens to certain kind of people. If we speak that every day to ourselves, that's what our brain's going to believe because it doesn't know if we're telling it the truth and it doesn't know if we're telling it a lie. And she's telling so, the truth. She's that's why they call the mind over matter, you know. It is. Uh, it really is. It, it's crazy. That's why self-talk is so important. Absolutely. Because coming out of Silicon Valley, not knowing what a CEO is, not knowing the responsibilities <laughs> and characteristics of a CEO, you know, I tell people all the time, if you want to learn, shut up and listen. Yeah. You, gotta, you yeah. just got to shut up and listen and just learn. And, you know, uh, we talked for a long time. A lot of times people don't understand Courtney uh, has really a knack for just being a, a great speaker uh, very, very quick, clarifying in her in her speech. Me, I'm a, I'm more long-winded, and I can I can be more of a teacher, more of a mentor. Uh, so you know, a lot of times when I'm in front of CEOs, other CEOs, and in front of LPs and investors, I get super nervous because I don't know what they're looking for. But when I get into a teaching mode and I'm talking about what I'm excited about, then that's when that light comes on, and I'm able to really, really just shine and and glow yeah. uh, in that in that moment. And so, you know, you learn from one another the strengths, characteristics, mm -hmm. uh, sure. also the failures, uh, because when you when you put yourself in a position to say you can't, because I've said that so many times that I can't even remember. So I have to tell myself when even even though I may not be able to do it, it's best to just try and learn. Uh, I've been away from technology for so long, just working in beauty other than just being on my phone. I, I now can't live without my computer. Right. So uh, it gets to a point to where you start saying, man. What I thought I couldn't do, I'm doing. And, and I truly believe that we as people need to understand, and these are the numbers out of, a, out of 100%. 97% of people will never change. You wow. got to accept it. If your sisters are in that, if we got family members in that, that's just what it is. 2% of those will only think about it. So they're going to think about it, and they're going to talk themselves out of it. So now that number is 99, and then only 1% of people change. Goodness gracious, that's scary. It is, isn't it? That's why people don't understand. That's why people always talk about, oh, they're the one percenters. The one percenters are in the world. They run the world. They do. Oprah Winfrey didn't get where she got because she talked herself out of it. She she risked it. Uh, uh, we look at the Steve Jobs. We look at all these different people, and there are other peoples outside of the U.S. This this um, this uh, network of kids and and society coming up is gonna breed the most millionaires ever. Wow. Ever. Because they're gonna, they're, they think different. They don't, they don't tend to look at the baby boomers. Uh, and they don't look at stuff like that because they know that that, that world is over. They're not afraid to start. Uh, and they're not afraid to start, and they're not afraid to be risky. And, and I, so I, I, I definitely feel like, and I had to kind of have an awakening about not that long ago. I want to say like a couple years ago, where I found, I was cleaning out my garage. I found a box of a bunch of old documents that I had written for a job that I had. I used to work for AT&T when I was like 20, like 19 to until 2013, I worked at AT&T. So, but my first job there, I was, what I'm doing today is kind of what I was, I see that in the work I was doing at my old job. 
And when I will read my writing, I'm like, this is, I could use this memo right now. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, you already were like ready to jump in and try to be the boss and gather people's information and say, okay, everybody, I'm going to speak with management, bring all your thoughts and I'm going to represent us as a, you know, like these things that I was saying, I'm like, I really thought I could do anything at that time. I remember interviewing um, for my first job. It was doing tech support. It was a second job doing tech support, but it was tech support for computers. Yeah. And this is when dial-up was the thing and DSL was new. <laughs> so I didn't even know what DSL was. I didn't know anything about that that type of, you know, internet service and all that. But I knew everything about dial-up. I knew how to troubleshoot my own computer. I was very hands-on. And I knew that if they're going to train me for three weeks, I'm, I'm, I got this. Like, yeah. I had no doubt in my mind. And so the lady I interviewed with, she, they gave me a one-page assessment. It probably was just 10 questions, but I knew none of those answers. None. Like, it was like, what's the trace route? What's the ping? I mean, all these tech, these technical terms that I had never, I just do it. Like, I just yeah. fix stuff, you know? So I don't know what I'm doing. I just click on things. And so when the assessment, the, the thing you were supposed to do was fill out the assessment, and then you get a chance to meet one-on-one -on -one with the manager to kind of, you know, the actual interview part, right? So when the interview came, I think I kind of just filled some stuff out on there, and the lady was about to look at my paper, and I, I put my hand on top of the paper in front of her. <laughs> I said, don't look at that. Don't look at this paper. This is not representative of what I can do. And I just went to selling myself to this lady. And I got the job. And after I ran into her at the, at the cafeteria and she said, she just laughed when she saw me. She said, girl, you didn't, I knew you didn't know what you was talking about. Uh, you know, you didn't know any of this stuff, but you were so convincing that you knew this, stuff, like you were going to be able to do it. I said, I'm going to give you a chance. And I feel like that right there is what these new kids have. Like they think they can do anything. And there's times I think as you get older, you forget like you lose your confidence when you have failures. Well, you 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 lose that childlike risk in, 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 uh, risk in your head that I can do this. We get comfortable with life. We start attaining things. We have kids. We get married. We get comfortable. Yeah. And comfort is 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 the death of of you. Uh, mm -hmm. You got. I tell people all the time. You got to get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And and that's what keeps you going. Uh, if there are nights that you wake up two three o'clock in the morning, there's a there's a there's a, a hunch. Uh, coming from within, and, and we got to figure what that is. And, you know, I guess this is the moment where I can just kind of plug my book. I wrote a book called Mentor by Failure uh, on, how to, on how, to, how to maintain success in the beauty industry. And I just started seeing people, they just looked at, you know, th their success is money. And I said, no, there are tools, there are foundations to how to become successful. And, and you know, you know me, and you've, you've seen who, who I've been, and you've come to my shop, and you realize what the type of person that I am. And, and there's something about being in the being in a business where there are things that you say, okay, why is this person successful? Why why are things why is it like this in here? Why is it not like a typical barbershop? Why is it not like a typical salon, you know, in the hood or or in or in upper upper echelon part of the neighborhood? Why is it just like this with these particular people? What what makes it it's always the leader allowing the foundation to be set. So I didn't have a mentor growing up when I first got in the industry. So I had to learn through my failures. Know, why am I doing this? I never believed in quitting. Uh, I think I quit one time in my life, and I quit the baseball team only because my friend quit. And I, I look back on it every now and then, saying, "Man, why did I do that?" Why? I did and the only, same thing. Oh, and, I, oh and, and I'm so mad at and, myself for that. And the only reason I did it was because I didn't have nobody to drive me back and forth. 
Mm. And my coach was mad at me because we didn't, you know, I didn't start driving in the city until I moved to Texas. I, I mean, I had a driver's license, but I didn't use it back home. My parents, you know, you got to have insurance, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I had to kind of deal with the struggles. But in my book, I tell people it's not about the money yet. It's about mm. the foundation that you need. So my book is called Mentor by Failure. And if you look on my cover, if you ever get the book, it's, it's uh, on that book I'm holding is Plan A. I exit out. And then I put Plan B, but it's not—it's never a Plan B. Right. Plan B was spelled B-E, and and it was because I always look at—you got to be something in order to get to success. So in my chapters, I talk about you know how to be focused. You got to be professional. You got to be your best brand. Uh, you got to be your—you got to be smart about money. You got to be consistent. All the things you got to be in order to be successful. Because if you're just getting into anything for money. That is the last thing you're going to become successful for because in order to work for money, you're never going to reach the height you want to reach because you're going to always think it takes more money to get there. So getting those foundational tools down, understanding uh, the, the risk it's going to take, understanding that you're going to fail, uh, but just pivot off of that fail is what most people can't do because most of the time when they fail, they don't really realize when they stop, they quit. Yep, and you can't win if you quit. It, nope. You, you, it's, it's hard to be the man that won't quit. I always tell people. I love that. So real quick, let's talk. Um, and now, before the this episode airs, I've already shared with the audience about your bio and all of that, but I do want to quickly touch on kind of how you guys, what sparks your share and and where they can hear more from you or find out more information about Share Share. Well, Share Share was definitely... Um, uh, problem we were trying to solve for ourselves it came out as necessity right. yeah so i had expanded and rebranded my salon back in 2012 mm -hmm. and found that so uh, stylist wasn't looking for a place to rent long term and that's that's typical in the industry very typical okay. yeah. and so i had this one stylist stop by and say you know i need to can i can i rent your chair for a couple of days uh, i just moved to the other side of town uh, i have like 15 to 20 clients over here and i would love to rent your space so i was a little bit hesitant so i went home and told my wife about it i was like I have this lady, you know, that wants to rent the space on the other side. You know, I'm apprehensive. So I ended up talking with her uh, a couple of days later. She came by and we, we just sat down. I asked her a few security questions, a few character questions, just to kind of understand what it was. And so once I, we both enjoyed the experience once I decided to do it because my space was just collecting dust rather than dollars. And I said, you know what, I can do something with it. And then about a couple of days, more, a few days later, she had a friend starting to call me. So they needed a place to work. So we started doing this thing uh, called Share Share uh, before Share Share for about three years. Okay. And and before we decided uh, to look for a solution, couldn't find one, and then started to build out the technology ourselves. And so Share Share was born born that way, and 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 it was something that uh, I truly look at as taking a risk and, and don't regret it from this day. Yeah, it's the first mobile app that lets Silas rent space to work by the day. And like Ty said before, you know, what the industry has known since the very beginning, I mean, this is a hundred year old plus actually industry. And the way Silas finds space to work is that once they finally do locate a salon or barbershop or spa that they want to work out of, they have to sign a long-term contract. Right. And so not many people realize that their barber, their hairstylist, their esthetician is leasing that space, kind of like you would lease an apartment. Um, and so this is uh, extremely new. It's allowing, though, the salon owners to be able to make money on that empty space now because we're exposing them to tons of stylists who otherwise they probably would not have come across. And then likewise, the uh, stylist is being able to save so much money in overhead because they're only renting that space to work when and where they need it.
It's such a perfect idea. And my stylist actually uses it for her salon. She owns a salon in McKinney. Oh. Uh, Pamper oh. dresses. Melissa, oh, yeah. Shout out to Melissa. Know, Melissa. Hey, yep. Melissa. Because I text her like the day that I found out about the app. I'm like, are you using Share Share? <laughs> and she's like, yes, I'm Thank using Share Share. Um, so she's actually trying to fill her her new place. You know, she's she's very new in her, her building. Right. But she has suites that she re- rents out. For different things, nails, you know, massages, everything. Yep. And so um, she definitely is using it. So I know firsthand that it's someone that uses it that enjoys it. So. Yeah, we're we're constantly growing, and we're and we're in 380 cities in 11 countries right now. But we're wow. constantly uh, our our vision and our sprints are are so uh, much greater uh, coming forward uh, to what we're going to add to share share and just educating people. One thing I will say, and and hopefully you can get this out to. Uh, as many stylists and owners as you can, is that, you know, we're finding that, that you know, Texas really needs to be educated about the sharing economy because we don't want people to realize that one day they're going to look up and California has really adopted this and New York has really adopted this. We got people in Tennessee that's really adopted this, but we found that that Texas is, is not as technology adoptive when it comes to the sharing economy. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I had to go through as a salon owner uh, to really invite stylists in. So uh, they really need to get into to the process of sharing. Uh, and, and that's what's kind of hurting them because they're not looking at the the, the upside of it. Uh, you can't think negative first and expect to get positive out of it. Mm-hmm. You got to think positive first in order to get positive out of it. So I think people have to really understand that when you hop into an Uber car, you don't trust the driver. You trust Uber. When you go mm-hmm. stay at an Airbnb, yeah. you don't trust the, the home uh, that you're staying in or the owner, you trust the company. Right. And so we want to get people to understand that they can trust ShearShare. Share. Yeah, and yeah. if they're on our platform, they're trustworthy because it's a B2B app. The the stylist is a, is a business and the owner is a business. So why would we just allow just some any Joe and, and, and Amy to come in your salon that's not licensed right. and it's only licensed professional? So getting them to understand the education of why we're doing what we're doing, why we're so, so passionate and the passionate about it. And and then the, the 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 person that started it comes from the industry. So I have built everything out in the way that it works just on the way we think. Mm-hmm. So the clicks are just it, it are already embedded in our brain. What questions you want to ask, they're already there. Uh, where do you want to go stay? It's already in order. You want to look at the day, you want to look at life's profession, you want to stay in a, a station or 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 a suite. Um, and you all these things are already there. What are the amenities? Okay, I need a bathroom. I need I need certain things. All that stuff because is you're fun. using your your 20 plus years of experience to come to up with that. these questions. You already know what they're thinking, what what concerns uh, they have, and and all that. So you're thinking ahead, kind of on all that stuff. The user flow is so perfect. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, I, if if I built it for myself, I would look for it to be unsuccessful. Right. But I didn't build it for myself. I built it for the community. I built it for the industry. And I think that that's one of the reasons that the investors get it. I think that's one of the reasons that the technology adopted states get it. And a lot of these smaller cities get it. We got we got a, a salon in Tennessee, uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, killing it. Uh, <laughs> Tacoma, yeah. Washington's killing it. Yeah. It's a small town outside of D.C. that's killing it. Wow. Uh, and, 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 and New York is loving it. Um, Hollywood, Florida. You just name them. Sure, sure, it's there. So we want to make sure we take care of home uh, which is Dallas, Texas, and all the other surrounding cities, Houston, right. Austin, and San Antonio, so they can know and let people know, even though we're not as technology adoptive, because when you think tech, 
resources. You think oil, you think gas, you think real estate, you think medical devices, you think those things, yep. but you don't think tech. So we want people to understand that tech is, is definitely derived in Dallas outside of just being in Austin, uh, what we call the, the, the Silicon Valley of the South. Uh, so we want people to understand that we're here and, and they can trust the company and not just the places and the people that they see and the, uh, and, and that's the salons they go to. And it's just one of those things where it's going to take time, but education's first. I love it. Okay, so what are some things that I haven't asked you? What else did you want to, would you like to share with the audience about either what you're doing now, what you guys have planned for Share Share, or anything that I may have missed? Kick it off, Courtney. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, because our heart is for, um, you know, our fellow beauty and barbering professionals, um, and we're pioneering this whole way to find space to work. Like for us, we know that that's a big um, hurdle to get over because no matter what kind of tools you use or equipment or shampoo you like for your clients, you have to have space to work. So we figure let's build trust with our community there. And then immediately thereafter, Ty said, you know what, we need, you know, it, it, remember the times, Courtney, where we went to the bank and we asked for a mortgage loan and a car loan. And the first question they asked us was, you know, can I have a copy of your W-2s or give me your last six months paychecks? And for any independent, you know, whether it be a stylist or it could be like an independent plumber, you know, you don't have access to those things. And so that makes your the hurdle to get a loan from a bank even that much more difficult. And so we partnered with an organization that first, for the first time ever, allows our Share Share users to have access to weekly pay stubs. So now barbers, hairstylists, independent nail techs, estheticians, makeup artists, massage therapists, they now have access to weekly pay stubs, and we went a step further and are giving them access to a free um, quarterly savings account for taxes, and we'll file their quarterly taxes on their behalf. Wow. Um, so all the things we're thinking about as, as it comes to Sheer Share, all about um, what B2B tool do you need in order to be successful? If you're passionate about this industry that we're in, I think it's the best industry in the world, um, then we're going to give you every tool that you need because we've had to live through it. Um, we also are working on uh, insurance. And so now you can, on the, on the app, go ahead and find space to work by the day. But very soon, it'll be able to, you'll be able to also purchase insurance for those couple of days. So today you have to purchase professional liability insurance, you know, a, a year at a time. And how much better would it be for your pockets if you can just pay for insurance on a Friday, Saturday when you know you're going to be in the salon or barbershop? Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So where can people find you if they want to, uh, if they're a salon owner or a beautician or a stylist and they want to use your share share product? Yes, 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 yes. So um, our website is www.sheershare.com, as in a pair of cutting shears. And then we're Sheer Share everywhere. So you can go on Instagram and follow us there at Sheer Share. Our team is hilarious. You'll see lots of funny moments behind the scenes. Um, <laughs> we're building relationships with, you know, like the biggest uh, beauty brand in the world, L'Oreal. And we're going across the country touring um, at these big beauty shows. Um, but then you see some of the background antics of Ty and myself as we're traveling. Uh, some of the conversations that we're having with salon owners who are on the platform, even some who we're just introducing to Share Share for the very first time. Um, so you can find us on Instagram at Share Share. You can find us on Twitter at Share Share. You can find us on Facebook at Share Share app. Um, would love to um, get some additional hosts. If you're, if you guys are curious, you can come to ShareShare.com slash become a host. And we've just launched um, a referral program um, whereby we'll pay you if you uh, bring us a new host or bring us a new stylist that books. And that URL is shearshare.com slash refer. 
Perfect. Thank you both for being on my show as my first official interviews. This was perfect. We're honored. We are honored. Well, anytime we can kick off anything inaugural, we love it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Scratching and Surviving podcast. To connect with me and hear more, please visit scratchingandsurviving.com. Make sure to join the Scratching and Surviving community. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your player of choice. Talk to you next week.